Morning, Warden. Didn't the kids do great? Uh, that's awesome. I got I got to tell you, as a PK, I have done so many of those, and I can remember as a kid, you know, standing up even with the with the C, and you know, we were all spelling out Christmas. C is for the Christ child. You remember those times? Yeah, it's so good. Um, I look back at the time, you know, I remember how much how much. Uh, nerve it took for me just to do that as a kid and so I am so proud of our, our our kids our warden kids and they just did a great job and I know how hard it is sometimes for them to get up in front of everybody but didn't they do a good job amen give them a hand yeah thank you pastor Carrie Ann and everybody who who helped uh to organize that and uh yeah I also think it's pretty amazing to see a whole family up here doing the peace candle that's so good to I know uh, as parents you guys must be like tickle pink to be up there with your family to do it. Yeah, again, it takes a nerve, right, to get up in front of people and do that. But I just, the, the image of just seeing a whole family up here doing that together, it just, it's amazing. That's Christmas to me. Amen? Amen. Well, we're glad to be back. Uh, as you saw last week in the announcements, we, we did a little uh, surprise announcement thing for you. I was standing in front of the Nissan Stadium of my beloved Tennessee Titans, even though they broke my heart last week. Man, one of the craziest games I've ever seen in my life. But just ask me about it another time. I don't need to tell you about it from up here. But, but we had lots of fun. Uh, we ate lots of food. And we walked a whole lot. But the food, unfortunately, unbalanced the walking, I think. When I look in the mirror, that's what it tells me anyway. Uh, but we had a great time. Oh, lots of fun. Get the, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Uh, we went to the Grand Old Opry. Some of you may be interested in hearing that. And it's, it's amazing down south how upfront and in your face they can be with the gospel down there. Uh, we were outside of Opryland Resort and they had a big nativity out in the front. And the gospel, like the, the Christmas story was being read on repeat out in front in this big public area. And I just, I, I don't know, I thought that was pretty cool. And I was very grateful to be able to, to, to be there and experience some of that. But thank you for allowing us to go, and uh, we, did, we did have a great time. We are excited to be back. I was joking with some this morning that we need to take a vacation from our vacation, but that's what happens, right? You, you try to get everything jammed into that one week. Uh, but I'm very grateful for my parents who were here to be with our kids and to allow us to sneak off for a week, just the two of us. Can you imagine? Wow. Man alive. Well, I wanted to, to pick up from last week. Pastor Connie did such a great job talking about hope, and I just wanted to pick up from there and stay in the Advent calendar and just talk a little bit about peace this morning. And I'll, as we go through the Advent season, we're going to end up talking about love on Christmas Eve, and uh, we want to theme the Christmas Eve service radically right here, talking about how Jesus is not only infinitely up there, but radically right here and just really just focusing on the incarnation and the love that it provides for us and the truth that's there for us. So plan to be at Christmas Eve this year, amen? Twelve of you are going to be there. <laughs> plan to be at Christmas Eve this year, amen? amen. Bring friends and family, amen? amen? Let's see if we can fill up every seat in this place. Man, how cool would that be, right? That'd be so good. Uh, let's talk about peace today. Peace as understood by society today. How it's defined and how 
to create it and sustain it is def definitely, it's a complex conversation. Uh, it has literally been a struggle since basically the first sin of Adam and Eve. Um, Alfred Nobel, many of you have, have heard of him for sure, uh, recognizable for the invention of the Nobel Prize. He illustrates his struggle back at the late 1900s uh, quite well. Um, his legacy displays how difficult our quest for peace is in the world, how difficult it can be. Uh, he is famously known for his invention of dynamite. And just, just learning that and understanding that and understanding that he is also the inventor of the Nobel Peace Prize, it, it, it made me look into it a little deeper. <laughs> But he's famously known for inventing dynamite, among many other things. Um, by his own admission, dynamite was not originally created for the purposes of war, but rather industry. They created it to, to make mining and different things like that easier. Uh, but as the use of dynamite expanded, it becomes clear that he began to embrace the use of his invention for the purposes of peace through war, is how I think he would have described it. Uh, in 1891, he was quoted with reference to his dynamite factories that perhaps my factories will put an end to war. Can you imagine? Perhaps the factories that are creating dynamite can put an end to war. He says, perhaps my factories can put an end to war sooner than your congresses. On the day that two army corps can mutually annihilate each other in a second, all civilized nations will surely recoil with horror and disband their troops. Can you imagine? This was his understanding, and uh, you can look up all this information right on NobelPrize.com.org. It's, it's all right there. He espoused the idea that the man with the bigger stick will prevent the fight because the other man would never want to get hit by the big stick. And I wanted to simplify it for you for that way because this is sometimes how, how silly we can get thinking about our ideas of peace, I believe. But this is where peace gets perverted and transitions, transitions from being a quest for peace and can become a quest for power instead. It's amazing how close peace and power find themselves in the world. Perhaps his greatest mistake was misunderstanding the human condition. Not understand that we're all shaped in sin and born in iniquity, right? When we believe that greater man-made power will produce peace, we are going down a dangerous path. Now, Jesus, first of all, I want to say, could have came with a great display of power. We often talk about this, you know, what if he came with 10,000 angels? What if he came in an array with, with all his kingly garb on and, and came... In, in, the, in the world's idea of splendor and landed on the earth with all his pomp and circumstances and just came down and says, Hi, I am more powerful than you all. Now listen to me. He could have came in that kind of power. He could have came in our societal understanding of power. If peace was really about power as society understands it, then I believe we would have a much different incarnation account. If peace was really understood as society understands it today i think that you know if we were writing the incarnation story we would have wrote jesus coming with white horses angels come down to exert his power this is what herod expected 
He was determined to find this child that the Magi spoke of, this would-be king of the Jews, because it threatened his, not his peace, his power. Peace was not even on Herod's radar. So when we look at peace from a societal standpoint today, this is kind of how I think we, we look at it today, and this is the definitions that I, that I found that I wanted to share with you today. It says, peace means societal friendship and harmony in the absence of hostility and violence. I think that's accurate. <laughs> Excuse me. In a social sense, peace is commonly used to mean a lack of conflict and freedom from fear of violence between individuals or groups. Peace is also a stress-free state of security and calmness. This is what we're looking for in the season, right? It's kind of hard in the city. It's kind of hard in the mall, which I dared venture to yesterday, which I would frankly say stole my peace. But I'm finding it again. It's okay. It's all right. The peace is also a stress-free state of security and calmness that comes when there is no fighting or war, everything coexisting in perfect harmony and freedom. But if we look at peace from a spiritual standpoint, I think it's much simpler. And I think our answer to peace is much simpler than society would want us to believe. Spiritual peace is knowing the source of life who can help us see even beyond our death. I think when I was looking for a definition that best described the biblical understanding of peace, I think this is it. Knowing the source of life who can help us see even beyond our death. Now let's consider a couple of folks in Luke chapter 2. And I, I tend to, I feel like I talk about uh, Simeon and Anna every year. And, and I, I do, I love their story, I love their faithfulness. And I just want to read it for you in Luke chapter 2 verses 22 to 40. And just uh, highlight a few things from their life. And uh, I want to consider their influence in this, in this whole situation and, and how they can influence us about peace today. So let's read Luke 2, verses 22 to 40. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Jesus and Mary took him to, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, this is very simple. You may wonder why in the world I would read that, but it's important to know that Jesus' parents followed the law, that they were law-abiding citizens, per se, but in the Old Testament law kind of understanding. And I think it's... It's important it adds context to the whole account. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, and that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him uh, what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people to Israel. 
Verse 33 says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word. And I pray, O oh God, that uh, I would just be faithful in opening it up today, Lord, and looking at what it says about peace. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be moved and encouraged by the life of Simeon and Anna, and I just pray that you would just bless us all, Lord, as we receive your word today, and give me clarity of thought and speech as I do it, O oh God, and help me to function in the anointing you place on my life to do this. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Simeon had peace, but why did he have peace? And I'm not just talking about his entire life, because I believe he, had, had, he, he lived a peaceful life, even though what he was waiting for hadn't come. But he had peace here, and why? Because his eyes had seen God's promised salvation. So, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, he says. Now, Simeon and Anna give us great insight into uh, the Christmas understanding of peace, and they not only had peace because they witnessed God's salvation in Jesus, but they had peace in the process. And this is something I think we can all take uh, note of today. Peace is not about power, and it is not about popularity. Sometimes we think if we have more power, then, then more people would pay attention to us. Having power over our circumstances even does not ensure peace. Being in complete control of everything and making sure that your schedule is perfect and that you do everything is perfect. You want to know how to make sure that I have a terrible vacation? Schedule every minute of it. This is where my wife and I are very different because for her, she would schedule every minute of it. <laughs> For me, I'm like, oh, give me moments where I can just be. Like, I vacation for me is part part of it is exploring. So when we got to Nashville, you know, we were about a 30 minute walk to downtown, and I was excited to walk just to, to see what we would see. And my wife is like, I don't want to see what we can see. I want to plan what we're going to see. I'm like, I feel you. And so we try to find a balance and we try to figure it out, but there's peace in the process. But having power over all our circumstances does not bring peace. Having popularity, being liked and adored or looked up to does not ensure peace. How many people, how many cautionary tales do we see in society? One that comes to my mind after my vacation to go watch an NFL game is a one of the most famous linebackers in NFL history, Junior Seau. 
for all intents and purposes, worked in the community, cared for people. I believe he was a, a, a man of the year because of all of his, um, Walter Payton man of the year because of all of his work he did in the community. Everybody who ever knew him said that he was a great human being and that they loved having him in the locker room, and that he was great to be around. He, he was in the NFL for 13-plus seasons and excelled, was amazing, had all the reason to, to be happy in life by societal standards. You know, was loved and adored in the San Diego area, and now San, the San Diego Chargers are in L.A., but they love him still there. But nobody knew that the spirit was in his heart and ended up taking his life. Popularity is not peace. Popularity is not peace. Famous comedians, people who you would think have everything. Jim Carrier earlier last year, you know, was famously quoted as saying, you know what, it's not, money's not it. Popularity's not it. It doesn't bring you peace. He was criticized publicly for saying those things. Popularity and power are not the answer to peace. More power, more popularity may make you feel good for a season, but it will not give you peace. Peace doesn't always mean calm or an absence of problems. Peace is reflected in how we approach and walk through those problems. And Simeon made it known to Mary that though she was holding the Prince of Peace in her arms, believing in him would come with the cost. You pick it up in verse 33 again. I'll just slide down partway through verse 34. It says, this child is destined... This is what Simeon said to these young parents. Can you imagine? Babies by our standards. You know, Mary was probably not even 20 years old yet. And this elderly gentleman comes to her and says this about her child. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Whew. Imagine. Put this in, parents, if you're here this morning, put this in perspective. Someone can say this about your child. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. People are going to speak against my boy? Are you serious? So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That's what the holiness of God does, right? And a sword will pierce even your own soul. Speaking to Mary, right? Talking about the pain that she's going to feel as a mom. The message of the Messiah and the cross was going to cause peace for those who believed, but it would also be a conflicting force for those who looked for peace elsewhere. When you're in the presence of God and His holiness, it exposes the things that we need to change in our life. It exposes the things we need to deal with in our life. And I believe, you know, Simeon's making him aware that, you know, your son is, is the son of God. He's the Messiah. And people are not going to be able to deal with that because his idea of peace is different than theirs. He's not going to be here looking for power. He's not going to be here looking for popularity. He's actually going to try and hide away from those things. But he's still going to cause people who have power, who have popularity, to struggle because of the message that he's going to bring, the holiness, the gospel that he's going to bring to all who need it. If we trust like Simeon, there is peace in the process. We trust like Anna, there's peace in the process. Philippians 4, 10 and 13 says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord and that and last 
you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need and have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. This is as Paul talking to a believer, Epaphroditus, if I'm not mistaken. could be wrong. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. I learned the secret of having peace in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I think it's important to understand that the phrase, I can do all things in him give you strength, is a phrase about contentment, is a phrase about peace. We can do all things through him who gives us strength, when we have peace in our heart, knowing that he is the Lord of our life, knowing that he's in control of our life, and knowing that we have willingly given him full control of our life. Secondly, there is peace in answered prayer. Praise God. And there's peace, and there's peace in prophecy fulfilled. Simeon and Anna would never have to pray for what God had spoken to them to come to pass again. They were waiting for the consolation of the world, of Israel, is what it said about Simeon. And Elvana says that she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. They would not have to wait any further because the Messiah had arrived. There was an answered prayer. There was an answered prophecy in their life. And I'm going to tell you that brings great peace. After long years, they enjoyed the peace that comes with answered prayer. And Simeon had to be quite old. It doesn't say his age Exactly, but it does talk about Anna's age. It says that Anna was 84 years old in NIV, but if you look at the language, it actually says that she was, it was probably more likely says that she was alive 84 years after the seven years with her husband, so she was likely closer to 100, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, waiting for, for the Messiah to come. It seems as though Simeon's whole motivation for living was awaiting the arrival of the Lord's Messiah, which the Holy Spirit had revealed to him would happen in his lifetime. He literally says in verse 29, Okay, you can take me now, Lord. He says, Dismiss your servant in peace. Great peace also comes through, like I said, answered prayer. God's word is power displayed from peace. I don't know about you, but when I think about the answer prayer in my life, it brings me great peace. When I pray to the Prince of Peace, I feel his peace, the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit in my life. But when I think about the answer prayer, the miracles that I've experienced in my life, it brings me peace. And it gives me confidence that he's going to make one more great miracle in my life, at least when he comes to receive his church. Amen? Every answered prayer I think about, every miracle I have witnessed or experienced has increased my peace. And you may be here and saying, Pastor, I haven't experienced miracles. I haven't experienced answered prayer. You may not be aware of the miracles in your life. And you may have not prayed, but God can answer your prayer this morning. You may be having something that's on your heart right now, and I want to invite you to even right now, even as I'm speaking, say, Jesus... I came here carrying this burden. I'm asking you, by your power, to bring peace to this burden and lift it in the name of Jesus. Give God an opportunity to do the miracle in your life today.
Amen? Some of you haven't experienced miracle because you haven't given him an opportunity to provide it. Some of us haven't had heal, healings because we haven't asked God to heal. And it says clearly in Luke, I think it's chapter 7 or chapter 9, it says, asking you will be given, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open to you. There's a request to ask. His will is paramount. He will do what he wills to do, but, but he says, ask, come and ask, and trust that your Father loves you and he has peace planned for your life. Thirdly, peace is not something to attain, but rather someone to acknowledge. Jack Miles, in, his, um, in this little book I have called Incarnation, an anthology, he says this, is yet, yet somehow he, referring to Simeon, knew that the Redeemer would first come not as a great heavenly champion wrapped in banners of nationalism with a political agenda of violence, but a baby carried in the arms of his parents. We read all the way back in Isaiah some 700 years before the Incarnation in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness, and this is the part I think we overlook, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Peace, from a biblical point of view, can only be understood as the child king taking over the government of our lives. You understand what I'm saying? Come back to that word control again. It can only be understood, peace can only be understood as a child king taking over the government, the governance of our life, of our home, of our families, of everything that we consider contributors to our peace or things that take from our peace. We give it all to Jesus. We cannot truly attain peace any other way. John Oswald states it this way. He says, the government and social integration he will introduce. So the peace he will introduce will be eternal. And this is the mindset we need to have. One thing I love about Simeon and Anna is they don't seem to be surprised at all by the Messiah being a baby. And every time I read it, I'm like, they just, they just, it's right there in front of them. They're not surprised. I don't know what they're picture of the Messiah was, but they were not, doesn't seem to be surprised that it's a baby. And I just get this picture, you know, sometimes when you come to, we've been the people that came to church with a little baby before. My kids are not that old, and, and you know, we kind of get uneasy when, when somebody comes over and just takes the kid out of your arms. You're like, oh, wait a minute here. You know, moms and dads feel that, or was it just me? I got used to it, you know, when we had a baby that I saw people come and say, here, we don't hold my baby? I was just kidding. But I'm sure that Mary would have been like, this guy just come, takes took the child out of his hands, and he knows. He knows it's the Messiah. Because the Spirit is bearing witness in his heart, in his mind. He knows, and he's not surprised. Him or Anna don't seem to be surprised that the Messiah is a baby at all. It says in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. God's people were oppressed under Roman rule. And all of Israel would have expected the Messiah to come in power. They expected the Messiah to come with a bigger stick than the Roman Empire. That's what they expected. That's how they expected peace to come. 
But that's not the consolation and that's not the peace they needed. In Isaiah 9, we are told that the Messiah will come as a child. God's answer to the oppression and hostility of this proud and cruel world is not to come back as a jackbooted warrior, as John Oswalt said again. He didn't come back as a jackbooted warrior to smash the opposition. Somehow, although we are not told how here, we, he will shatter the yoke that burdens his people without becoming a greater oppressor than the enemy. Peace has not come by becoming the greater oppressor. Alfred Nobel's last will and testament prescribed that the peace prize, the Nobel Prize, and included in that was the Nobel Peace Prize, would be awarded to the person who accomplished the most or the best work for fraternity among nations, for the abolition or reduction of standing armies, and for the promotion of peace congregants. He had good intentions, he just didn't have the right path. People to this day are critical of the fact that the creator of dynamite is the originator of the Nobel Peace Prize. He was criticized even literally by geniuses. If you look at what Albert Einstein said about him in 1945, Einstein pointed out that the, pair, that the, the physicists of 1945 were, once, um, were in a situation which much resembled that in which Alfred Nobel once found himself, and we all know what he's referring to in World War II. Einstein drew his conclusion from this. He says, Alfred Nobel invented an explosive more powerful than any then known, an exceedingly effective means of destruction. To atone for the, this accomplishment and to, re to relieve his conscience, he instituted his award for the promotion of peace. I'm not saying that that's 100% true about the motivations of Alfred Nobel, but this is how we critique peace in this world today. This is how we critique our methods. Alfred Nobel's motives matter little today, and I am not trying to bash the existence of the Nobel Peace Prize in any way, but his ill-fated ideologies are still evident today. We believe today that if we have more power, it will equal peace. If we have more than the next person, you know, then they're not going to challenge me. If I have more popularity, if more people know who I am, if they, more people like me, then that's what's going to bring me peace. And it's all a lie. Greater power in human, human hands does not lead to peace. Nobel could not have known or imagined the magnitude of the weaponry to come, much less Hiroshima etc. The only way to truly see peace on earth is to understand our need of a savior and to surrender our sinful nature and will to the child king. Christians must be the greatest promoters and promoters of peace, but that is only accomplished through the coming of the child king and the crucifixion and resurrection of that king 33 years later. Simeon and Anna put it on display for us millennia ago, how to understand peace in the process, how to understand peace when there's answered prayer and there's answered prophecy, how to live this peace out in this life. Simeon again says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Anna says, coming to you, to, up to them, at that very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
They had a different idea what the redemption of Jerusalem was to be. They had a different idea what the consolation of Israel would be. But the Messiah came and changed all that. I don't read any disappointment or surprise in, in Simeon and Anna's actions. The child king came and brought true peace, true consolation to their faithful hearts. Simeon and Anna had no trouble submitting the government of their lives over to the child king, the promised Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Listen to Philippians 4, if I can go back to chapter 4 one more time. This very familiar passage. Listen to it in this context. Beginning at verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I think they had that. Even before the Messiah came, they rejoiced in the Lord always. They understood how to have peace in the process. And it says, Paul here says it, it says, I will say it again, rejoice. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all, not your power, not your popularity. The Lord is near. Now this has two meanings. He's near right now by the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit, but he's near because he's coming soon. Amen? It says, do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, if we keep reading, and sisters, whatever is true, these are the things we think about when we live in peace. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. We like to dwell on the opposite of those things, do we not? We like to dwell on the problems and how deep our problems can get rather than the God of all creation who can come and lift us out of those problems. He says, think on these things. Fix your mind on these things. And he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This season, I want to challenge you if you've not already done so, to let the child king of Christmas take over the government of your life. Let him govern your life. Let him take control of the things that you're holding too tight onto. Let him release you from the burden of the power that you think you have over others. Let him release you from the thought that if you could just be a better person, if you could just do things a better way, if you could just do more nice things for people, if you could just do, if you could just do, if you could just do, all he's saying is come and be. Come and be his child. Challenge you this Christmas season. Let him take him over the government of your life and see if he will not flood your heart with true peace, with eternal peace. Amen? Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that even though all of society and all the world, Lord, sets itself up, oh God, to mess with our peace this time of year, all the commercialism, all the people in a hurry to get here and to do this, and we're all so busy that we all end up doing things last minute, and there's so many things to challenge our peace. 
But Father, we have an opportunity to be a light in this world. Simeon was moved, Lord, when he encountered the salvation of the world in the form of a baby. Let our eyes be focused on that today. Let our eyes be aware of the salvation you brought to our lives. And when we're about (laughs) to reach our breaking point, let us stop and say, rejoice in the Lord always. And can I say rejoice? Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Let us have peace in the process. Let us trust the peace that comes with answered prayer. Lord Jesus, let's trust the Prince of Peace and let's turn the governance of our life over to him this season. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being radically right here in our lives every moment. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's just worship him together for a few moments.